Glory be to God. Listen, we're so blessed to everyone that listens by CD and over nine nations that listen by the Internet. Can we give them a hand if they're listening right now? Can we give them a hand for those listening by the Internet? We welcome you. Glory to God. We're honored to have you. We're honored to have you today. And we just know that this is going to be a day of encouragement. If we could have the scripture, it says, as you know, we've been studying, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, and today we want to talk about it is not self-seeking. Now, I think we've come upon something really important for this today, and we have found a study that was done at a university on how 70% of a self-seekingness has been taken care of and gotten rid of. So we thought we'd show you what they found out so we could get to practice in our city. So watch this and let's see what happens. Here at the National Institute of Student Ministries, our researchers have discovered a radical new method of addressing a shocking trend that has shaken the very foundation of this prestigious institution. <laughs> Quite frankly, we didn't think it would work. You see, the mean linebacker is in existence because there's a crucial problem. You know what, bro? I don't really care. Today, it's all about me. <laughs> the me linebacker deals directly with the me, 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 attitude. When it's about me, you got to pay a fee. Booyah to the esophagus. Booyah to your medulla oblongata. Booyah to your pancreas, baby. Booyah, booyah, booyah. You see, we live in a culture that every commercial is telling you this. If you don't buy my product, you're not skinny enough. You're not tall enough. You're not buff enough. <laughs> Philippians 2, it's not about you. Hey, I'm just trying to mall. I haven't been forever. I need to go spend some money on me. I need to go make it rain. I told Ouch. In one community alone, meism has dropped 75%. <laughs> you was lost, but now you found <laughs> Not since the stock market crash of 29 has anything dropped faster. You see, but the linebacker is trying to kick it to you straight, Ron. The linebacker's here to blow the me out of you so the Christ can fill you. Hey, what are you doing? You want to come hang out after church? No, I think I'm going to go home and jizzam. <laughs> You need to be focusing on the great I am. <laughs> the linebacker is here to promote thy will be done, not my will be done. It's not about community me, it's about community. So I really need help with my walk with the Lord, Anit. Anit? Your mama's talking to thee, your dad is calling you, and you can't even hear him because you're texting. You're, you're texting, you're always on the phone. You see, what the linebacker does is when kids are in outer space, I give them a booyah of grace. But we've lost the capacity to communicate face-to-face. -face. Put down your pod and give it to God. Expect it when you least expect it. All of us here at NIFSM, no pain, no gain.
75%. How many of you know it's worth trying? But I'm not going to be the one to jump on anybody. But what we're going to talk about today for just a few minutes, love is not selfish. You know, we had an awesome men's meeting uh, Friday night, and Brother Brett brought some ribs. And I hope that the men brag about their wives as much as they bragged about him. Man, them men, I thought they were going to ask him to marry them. I mean, they loved those. They were eating those ribs. You should have seen Jake and uh, who was sitting next to you? Uh, Jake and Chris. I mean, Chris had juice running down his hands. I mean, they were enjoying those ribs. But somebody asked Brother Brett, and it made me think about so many things that happened. What's your recipe? And what do you think he said? It's a secret. Now, is that selfish or is that selfish? (laughs) When somebody ends up telling you it's a secret recipe. Booyah! Don't you just want to jump on them when they want to tell you it's, they don't want to tell you their secret recipe. You know, it was kind of like these two guys were fishing around this lake. How many fishermen we got in here? Okay, y'all gonna appreciate this. Here's, I'm gonna tell you this little guy's secret. Here's this guy, I mean, these two men are fishing, didn't catch nothing all day, and there's this little boy. He, he, he goes fishing and he's pulling out the fish like crazy. He puts them around his waist in a little belt and then he goes farther, starts fishing some more, pulls them out. And they're there all day long, not catching anything. And he is just pulling them out like crazy. So after the afternoon, they hadn't caught anything. Here comes this little boy and he is just loaded down with fish. So these two guys ask him, they go, fella, and he's got a big old wad in his He says, they said, little fella, would you please take the gum out of your mouth And would you tell us your secret? He said, this ain't gum. Got to keep the worms warm. (laughs) (laughs) The secret is you got to keep the worms warm, okay? But listen, how many of you know you want to talk about selfishness? We're born in a world... Listen, just go in that nursery. What will you hear? What's the number one word in the nursery? Mine. Y'all mothers know what I'm talking about. Mine. Mine. Like the little brother and sister was riding on the little wooden horse, and finally the little brother said, you know, it should be nice if one of us will get off. You know, it's mine. And they grow up with that mentality. They grow up, it's mine, it's mine. But, but the Bible says that love is not selfish. You know, you've got to hand it to our teachers. We've got two teachers right here. A number of, how many teachers are here today? You were a teacher or you are a teacher? Raise your hand real high. All, all the teachers. Oh, look at the teachers. Let's give them a big hand. Let's give them a big hand. Listen. Can you imagine these teachers... You go study for, is it four years? Four, six years? You go study four to six years to teach these kids every day that need to be locked up. (laughs) They're ADHD. Listen, you know what little kids smell like? Cottage cheese. Oh, you know, those heads, you know, and all, all the stuff that teachers go through. And they're willing to sacrifice and be selfless to teach our kids. I mean, we ought to appreciate teachers more. Amen. Amen. And, you know, yesterday, uh, here we had nine, at least nine people who were here, I mean, for hours working. Six truckloads or nine? 
Six truckloads of stuff. You notice the grounds were a lot neater and cleaner. They came and they worked yesterday. I mean, those are selfless acts that just are a blessing. And, and the things that people do, and it says that love is not selfish. And I want to give you a few definitions of, of selflessness today and what the Bible has to say about selfish. It says love is not self-seeking. It's not selfish. Does not insist on its own rights. Love is not focused upon the one or what one has done. Love is not focused on me, on what I have done. Love is acknowledging others, not insisting that others acknowledge oneself. It is giving to others and not insisting that other gives to oneself. 1 Corinthians 10.24 says, Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. You know, another, I was thinking not only about the teachers, but how about foster parents or people who adopt? Oh, I tell you, we've got some heroes here this morning. How many grandparents, uncles and aunts are raising kin, uh, children that, that are not theirs, the kinfolks, grandchildren? Yes, and, and there's more. They're not raising their hand. We have another one in the nursery. Let's give them my hand. Listen, I mean, most people look forward to the day. Not us, but there are people who look forward to the day. All the children are gone. And then you think you've got your life set up, and bing, bang. Who's going to take the children in? Who's going to take these kids in? Who's going to take care of them? We're on a fixed income. We don't feel the same we used to feel to take care of these kids. And it's a selfless act. And I think there are so many people who are not honored to the point they need to be honored by taking these these loved ones in and taking care of them and, and working with them. You know, I heard the story about one of the governors of Tennessee. Uh, he, his mother, he was born to a teenage girl out of wedlock. And it was a small community, so up there in Tennessee, they, they didn't want to have nothing to do with the mother or the child. And this child would go around and they throw rocks at him, and no, none of the kids at school wanted to play with this child. And uh, one day this child, when he was about 12 years old, after just living a life of rejection, went to, went to church. And the people couldn't believe that this kid was in church because they didn't want to have nothing to do with this kid because he doesn't have a daddy. His mother had a child out of wedlock. And the pastor, he was a new pastor in town, so he went up to the little boy and he says, Hey, fella, who's your father? And the whole church went, Who? He says, By the way you look, you resemble a whole lot like Jesus. And he says, Live true to your inheritance. And that day, the governor of Tennessee said, I became the governor of Tennessee because someone didn't judge him by where he lived or where he came from. Someone invested and said, to me, you resemble a child of the Most High God. Everyone in here and those who are not in here yet and those who are going through difficulties in life, God's telling you, live and to the one you resemble, which is God Almighty. No one can put you down. Nobody can say you're not good enough or you're not worthy enough. God's blood has made you worthy. And it goes on to say the word selfless means does not seek its own. Galatians 6, 4, the message says, do not be impressed with yourself. Selfishness 
is be impressed with who I am. And can I share something else about selfishness? It's a trap because it leads to the trap of greed and everything else. Selfishness will rob us of our destiny because we're so much looking and being impressed with ourselves that we're not looking at those that we can help influence and impress through the love of God. And, and you know, if we want to live for a higher standard, it's to go ahead and just live our life for other people. You know, I, I read a story about this elderly man and this young lady with her baby who was fleeing guerrilla warfare in Africa. And as they were fleeing, they ran to some soldiers, and the soldiers said, hey, you can come with us, but we don't have time to wait on you, and we don't have time to, to carry this baby. Y'all will have to carry this baby. So this young lady with her baby and this elderly man started walking, and, and they were walking behind the soldiers. And after days of just exhaustion, the elderly man just fell down. And he says, listen, just leave me alone. Let me die here. I, I can't go anymore. Just leave me here. It'd be okay. Just let me die. And the soldiers say, we can't stop for you, sir. You've got to come. No, don't stay. He says, just let me stay. And so finally that young girl went and put that baby in his arms and said, well, if you're staying, I'll leave my baby with you. And she turned around. Even though she was crying, she never turned back to look at the elderly man with her baby. She just kept looking forward and kept walking forward. And after a while, she finally looked back. And here comes that elderly man with that baby. He had a reason to live. He had a reason to exist. And God wants to build a passion, a compassion to where, you know, we have even in our Constitution of the United States to pursue liberty and happiness. And we've taken that to the point where happiness is how much I have or what all I can do. or it, It's running after things and not really looking and helping after people. I was at Central Hospital this week and I was able to um, minister, but I was able to go around to the orderlies and to different ones and thank them for what they were doing and for the hard work and all that they have to do. We've been at hospitals this week. And, you know, you have to have a reason to be healed. And let me share something with you while I'm on this. A lot of people come in church and we talk about and we believe the Spirit of the Lord and the anointing of God is here to heal the brokenhearted. Deliverance to the captives, recovering the sight to blind, to set liberty to them that are bruised. But let me share something with you, and, and it's a secret of being healed. Jesus says, when he was washing the disciples' feet, he says, you don't quite understand what I'm doing now, but you will. And he says, when you do understand, and blessed, and happy, and fortunate, and prosperous, and healthy, are those who follow me and follow my example. And what Jesus was trying to teach, and I'll get to this more in a minute, but what I want to share with you at this point here is that if you're bruised and you're hurt, Jesus is, was trying to teach us through example and through his word, if you want to be healed, heal others. You know, we're guilty about coming to church and we come, I want to be anointed with oil and, it's, and we believe it's doctrine. Anointing with oil is doctrine. Praying for the sick is doctrine. But isn't it something that some people are not always healed? And I believe that there is, you've got to take the whole counsel of God. And what we see in the counsel of God is that if we want to be healed, especially the area of our soul and our emotions, we need to work on healing others. I think of the Williams this week. They went visit Sister Wanda. Is Sister Wanda Lucas here this morning? She may not have made it. They went visit Sister Wanda. She was in the hospital again, probably for over a hundredth time. She's been on uh, 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 dialysis for six years, more or less, five or six years. She's had a heart operations. This lady has died. I don't know how many times. She has 
sometimes she was skin and bones with that thing in her arm just bulging of the dialysis and in the hospital and in a coma. I don't know how many times she's been in a coma. And she's brought to the hospital and she just don't die. Thank God. The Williams would pray for her and she came home. But this little lady, everybody says that it's over for Sister Wanda. And all of a sudden you see Sister Wanda back at church. And then later on, you hear she's in the hospital again, and you see Sister Wanda back in church. And, and you, you know what keeps Wanda Lucas alive? Amen. Ask her. Her ladies. Her ladies. She, she wants to minister to hurting ladies. And when you talk to her in the hospital, and you, and, and, and you, you listen to her heart, I miss my ladies. I miss my ladies group. Because she meets at a place, at a restaurant usually, and any lady from any place is invited, and she ministers to these women. And she carries clothes and stuff in her trunk. I believe she fights death to stay alive for women who have hurt like she's hurt. There are people here. Sister Luella. She's got a big testimony, and for I don't want to get shot, so she'd have to tell you her testimony herself. But this lady, she goes out to Hope Houses, she goes to different places. She can minister to anybody who's been in anything because she says, I've been there. And here she is full of energy. She could be going on cruises. Instead of going on cruises, she's casting out devils. My wife's brother, my brother-in-law, 26 years old, got murdered, 44 stabbings, brutally murdered. Three, three, they went to the uh, cemetery a uh, week before last because it was his birthday. It was devastating. I don't think she or her mother knew how they were going to get healed from this. But come June, my wife is graduating at McNeese and Lake Charles with a 4.0 average, and she has won the award for the highest student in her bachelor's, a minor, and a major's in Christian counseling. Because three years ago, because three years ago when her brother was murdered, you either let it kill you or you make it push you into equipping you into helping hurting people. We can be selfish and we can lay over and die in our problems. My pastor was John Osteen, Joel Osteen's father. And his wife, Sister Dodie, was in the, in 1981, diagnosed with cancer and left to die. Had two weeks to live with liver cancer. She weighed 78 pounds. You know what she did in the hospital? 78 pounds. She would go room for room praying for the sick. Praying for the sick. What I'm trying to tell you is that old man got up and kept walking when he thought he couldn't walk anymore. Because he found somebody else to help and live for. And when we're selfish, we live for ourselves. But when we're Christ-like, we live for others. And it says, love is not selfish. And like anybody, I, like anybody, we all fight with selfishness. We all want, and me, 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 and mine, mine, mine. But there's something I I, I just, let, let me share with you. King David said, as the deer panted for the water, so my soul pants and longs for the living God. You see, David had commitment. David had passion. David had longing. David loved his God. Solomon, his son, loved himself. If you read in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, Solomon says, 
I, me, and mine ten times in just a few scriptures. Solomon sounded exactly like Lucifer, the high angel over the throne of God did in the book of Isaiah and Ecclesiastes. Even though Solomon was the wisest man, Solomon wasn't like his daddy. Solomon wasn't hungry after God. Solomon wasn't after worshiping God. Solomon was after worshiping self. And you read over there where he says, My ear desireth, my eye desireth, I desire. It was all like Lucifer. Pride opened up to selfishness. Lucifer saw himself. And that's where selflessness comes in, where we've got to be careful how much we look in the mirror. Lucifer saw himself, Solomon saw himself, and it led to their downfall. When there's so much available and so much possibilities, it is so easy to fall into the trap about how I want to live, what I want, what I think, what I desire. Oh, my, it's about, no, I, I, you know what, I deserve this. And the Lord's leading you and saying, no, they deserve that. But you know, this costs me money. He said, you cost me my life. You know, one of the stories I love, and a number of us, are uh, we love Sister Beth Moore, awesome author and teacher. She tells this story, and I shared it a few years ago. It's been a long time, so I'll share it again. She was at an airport waiting to get on the airplane. And she looked over. And everybody was there waiting to get on different airplanes. And there was this lady in a wheelchair. I don't know if some of you have read or heard this story. And here's this old man in a wheelchair. And his hair is down his back. He's got long fingernails. He's skin and bones. He looks like he's, his, the shirt looks like it's on a coat hanger. His knobby knees are protruding through the pants. And he's just sitting there. And nobody's talking to him. And he's just sitting there just by himself with that long straggedy hair and long nails and just as skinny And the Spirit of God comes on her. She says, oh, no, 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 God, don't do this to me. Don't do this. She knew what the Spirit of God was dealing with. And after a while, she finally said, okay, Lord, I'll go witness to him. And the Lord says, I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to comb his hair. Oh, no, God, look at all the people. I can't do that. I want you to go comb his hair. So after arguing with God a little while, how many has been there? After arguing with God a little while, he, she goes up and she kneels down to this old man and she goes real quietly, Can I, will you permit me the honor to comb your hair? And guess what the old man does? You're going to have to speak a little louder so I can hear you. <laughs> so she says, she goes to volume 10. Would you give me the let me have the honor in brushing your hair? Little lady, if you want me to hear you, You're going to have to speak louder. And she goes, oh, God. So she screams it, and everybody in the airport shuts up, in that section shuts up and looks at her. And he goes, okay, if you want to. But then she says, but I don't have a brush. He says, I have a brush on the back of my wheelchair in the bag. So she gets the brush, and she starts trying to get the tangles out of his hair. And he brush, she brushes as she brushes. As she said, the amazing thing is, the more she brushed his hair, the less she was conscious of the people around. The more she combed that old man's hair, the less she thought about herself as she was brushing that elderly man's hair. And finally she combed it and she combed it. 
And they started calling her flight and come to find out the elderly man was on another flight. And she bent down. She says, do you know Jesus? He says, yes. I got saved when I met my bride. And she goes, oh, tell me about it. He said, she said she wouldn't marry me unless I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes, you see, the problem is, is that uh, I've had open heart surgery. And my wife is not allowed to come. She's too sick to come. And I was thinking, look at the condition I am to meet my bride when I get off the plane. And I said, Lord, would you send somebody to comb my hair? And the point is, how many opportunities do we pass by? Because we're looking at us. This week, we were walking uh, through a parking lot with my family, and they were going in Cindy's car, and I was going in my car, and all of a sudden, I came from behind this van, and this guy put on his brakes and squealed his wheels. It almost ran into me because the van was here, and when I came here, he stopped. And he looked pretty rough, and I could look at his hands and tell, you know, and he says, he says, look, I'm a refugee from New Orleans. I've been here for this long time. He says, I don't have any money. He said, since I almost ran you over, can I ask you for some money? And I said, do you drink? I said, you've got to promise me that I'll give you this money that you're going to go buy some food for your family. He says, well, that's what I need it for. I need it for food for my family. Now, I could have judged and said, and you know what? Maybe he went and bought alcohol with it. He didn't smell like alcohol, but, you know, we think maybe he did. But what if he didn't? What if the little bit I could do? What if the little bit you could do? What if the little bit we can do? You know, we, we paid somebody's rent this week. We better put somebody who's going through a dozen things. I mean, they are going through some things. She called me and I called her back. She was crying. They turned her electricity off. I said, you come by tomorrow and you get that electricity turned back on. Because that's what we're about. That's what we're for. Well, what about the TV ministry? What about the building fund? Don't you think, why are we supporting 16 missionaries around the world? Why are we giving that money to missions? And why are we feeding the poor? Don't we need to concentrate on building a building? Listen, if we got to give up helping people to build a building, then they could just have the building. They could just have the building. God warns us about shutting our ears to the cry of the poor and the cry of the needy. And I guarantee you that if we would become sensitive and willing to adopt a child in Africa, and like so many of us have, and, and, and send their money and help them through school and buy them clothes and know that we're feeding that child, and that child is getting two meals a day, and, and if we have to give up, hey, what if you got to give up Cokes? Listen, if, if you just give up cigarettes with the price they are today, you can feed a tribe. Selfishness. You know what selfishness also means? Sometimes letting the other person win. Sometimes letting your children win. Wow, man, you busted daddy across the lip while we were wrestling. You're a man. I'm a man. Can I belittle myself enough to make them feel higher than they are? Or with other people. I mean, Jake and I, we could race. I'll win. 
but I'd let him win to make him feel good. That's selflessness. <laughs> and his a drink gas and mine won't. Selflessness. Love you, buddy. God's compassion and letting God have his way with me. Kind of like that little boy prayed. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, break the toys so no other kids can play with them. Look at me, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. I'll go ahead and just read in the Living Bible. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? In other words, shouldn't you be encouraged is the question. Is there any encouragement belonging to Christ? Are you happy? How many are happy that you're saved? Oh, hallelujah. How many are happy that you belong to the body of Christ? It says, is there any encouragement belonging to Christ? Any comfort, his love, any fellowship together in the spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Verse three, don't be Selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look only for your own interest. But take an interest in others too. Verse 5. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God. He didn't think himself equal with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. And he died the death of a criminal on the cross. And I started thinking, what an attitude that the creator, that God, could humble himself. Church, listen. God could humble himself where man cannot humble himself enough. He was willing to humble himself more humble than man can be humble. He was willing to step lower than man can step. He can go lower than man can. And you know something else amazing? He allowed, God allowed himself to die as a slave. He allowed men to beat him and touch him. And listen, the ones he created to worship him, he came and he served them. He came, God came and served his creation. What an attitude. Other gods, you worship me. Or I will destroy you. Other gods, you give me, or I will destroy you. God came and He said, I can disrobe myself. I, Elohim, 
can wrap myself in a towel and I can wash 12 dirty feet with the hands that created these feet and love them, even my betrayer. And he said, if I, being God, can do this, learn from this, he says, learn from me that if I can stoop lower, if I can humble myself, if I can be selfless, if I can be loving, if I can be serving, he said, you are most blessed. And that's where the healing in the body of Christ comes in. You know, to get inner healing can take years. But by serving others who are so hurting and needy can heal you in a moment. You know what's so awesome about mission trips, going to third world countries? It's going down there and combing the hair, planting corn, building houses, It's going down there and seeing their simple life. But listen to their singing and seeing their smile, bathing in cold water with a coconut every day, eating their food, living their life, not having the conveniences of home, and yet see their happiness and see their peace and go, I need everything I have at home to give me peace. And these people, all they have is Jesus, but they know Jesus. You know, we go down there, and you even hear, I lived down there 18 years, but you hear these ministers, you know, and they go down, and they go, we're going to hold a conference, and we're going to transform that nation. Let me tell you something. The truth is, those nations transform us. You walk with those little people sometimes. Corrie Tin Boone in her book, Trap for the Lord, tells a story about this elderly lady in Russia during the Cold War who had cirrhosis of the spine and other problems. And her body was all bent. Her legs were twisted up. And the only thing that could move was one arm and one finger. Her elderly husband had a weight on her. And she laid in that bed. And at the end of that bed, they had a table there with an old typewriter. And she would sit there from morning to midnight, as she would type out portions of the Bible and she translated Billy Graham's books into Russian with one finger. And sometimes she'd mess up with the wrong key and the husband would have to come and fix it. And she did that for years. One finger, one hand on the end of her bed, couldn't feed herself or nothing, but she could translate a book. And she sat there. And do you know, do you know, what she would do while she would type these books. She wouldn't pray for herself. She'd pray for Billy Graham. And she'd pray for all the ones she was translating. The authors of the books. She'd pray for the authors of the books as she was there typing those books. Her husband wrote Corey Tin Boons and said that she had passed away. But she passed away at midnight when she finished her last book. She lived for other people. Corey Tin Boone asked, why, asked God, why didn't God heal her? And the elderly man said, let me tell you something. We were the only house that the KGB wouldn't check. Because they said, what can this old lady do to spread the gospel? What can this old lady do that would hurt communism? 
and for years behind their back. Jesus Christ is Lord. That's selflessness. You know another person who was selfless? And and I'm going to finish. How about the Apostle Paul? Let me go to that. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11. You don't have to look there. Paul was up in age as some new preachers came into town. And they came and they go, We're Jew. We studied by the best. Who is this Paul? We're Jews. We're theologians. We're this. We're that. And somebody let Paul know about it. And Paul wrote back and says, Forgive me for being foolish, but let me just say, They're a Jew. I'm a Jew. They're a Hebrew. I'm a Hebrew. They know the word. I know the word. But let me just say that now, not to defend myself, I want to make a boast. I want to boast in my weaknesses. While they want to brag about their potential, and I may not look good, and I may have bad eyes, and I may be short, and I may be scarred, but while they look all pretty, let me tell you, When they're judging me on the outside appearance, let me tell you where I got these scars. Four times I was beaten with rods. Twice I was left dead on the road. I was in dangers and perils. Two times I was in shipwrecked. And he started telling about his whippings and his beatings. And even when he was writing that letter, he was writing that letter and being in prison for four years in the sewage underneath the palace where he was chained and he was given a candle for one hour a day to write what he wanted to. And he was in chains and the sewage of the city would go down into the dungeon where he was. And he was waist deep in the sewage. And he was saying, I counted joy that I was there with you. Instead of saying, I remember when I was with you and and I got whipped and I got beaten. I remember how they treated me. You know what he said? Every time I think about you, it brings me joy. And it wasn't that he was in a honeymoon suite. He was in sewage for four years saying, I don't know whether I'm going to be executed or I'm going to be let loose. But I know one thing. I am here rejoicing, hearing about your fruit. And I'm not going to spend time writing a letter trying to defend who I am, what I am and what I can do and what I did. But one thing I will boast about is that when I am weak and He is strong, and for me to die is Christ to live. That's selflessness. That's selflessness. You might have seen the movie Amazing Grace, the story about William Wilberforce. And he was born in a very wealthy family, went to Cambridge University. 21 years old, on Easter Sunday, he got saved. He was put into paramount. He uh, had all the good friends. Everybody liked him. But then God told him, I want you to fight against slavery. He fought against slavery for 14 years. He finally won three days before he died. When he got into his 40s, he had deterioration of the spine. He had to wear a complete brace on his back the whole time. And he had bad stomach trouble and a lot of different things. 
His daughter got killed. His two sons didn't want him anymore because he gave so much to the missionaries in India and other charities. He died poor, but he died victorious. And when he was about ready to quit, John Wesley wrote him a letter. And he says, John Wesley, a week before, six days before John Wesley died, he says, unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of man and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? And all of them stronger than, are all of them stronger than God? Oh, be not weary in well-doing. Go in the name of God and in the power of His might till even the American slavery shall vanish away. They just didn't have a vision for England. They had a vision for America. You don't have a vision just for you. You have a vision for your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren and your great-grandchildren for your community, for your city, for the nations. To fight through, to believe God that we're going to see these things come. We're going to be able to minister to the needs. There are stories of people even here this morning who are living in some of the hardest, difficult situations. If, if you and I were living where they lived a few weeks ago, before they got saved, before they started coming to church, and the things that God is doing, many of us would have wanted to die or would have tried to kill ourselves. But they came here. They found a place to find Jesus and to be accepted, to be loved. And God is calling us, brothers and sisters, to get our minds off of us, off of tradition, off of what other churches do, off of what other ministries do. Our job at Word of Grace is to have the mind of Christ and do what God is calling us to do, to be the type of church God wants us to be and to reach the people God wants us to reach. We're not called to be choosy. We're called to love. We're called to accept. And let me, let me end with this. How many of you know God is all powerful? How many of you know God is all knowing? But do you see His power everywhere? Do you, do, do you always see it? You don't always see it every minute of the day. You don't see the miraculous of God always. Do, do you have all the knowledge of God? No, nobody does. But in getting into the area of the all-presence, the omnipresence of God, that's where we can imitate God. That everywhere we are, God is. That is the area we can imitate God in. Is everywhere we are, we can be God there where two or three are gathered in my name. Two, the needy person and me. God is present. And when we get to the point where God is present, then the power and the knowledge is going to be there. But when we get to a point where we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and by serving others, listen to me, church, what's wrong with the church in America? Well, it's a bunch of stuff. But let me just tell you this with this message right here. That if we just concentrate on ourselves and never serve people. It's in serving people that we come to know God. 
there is a history of people, thank God, that signs and wonders follow their ministry. Thank God for the signs and wonders of God. But do you know what impacts people for a lifetime and eternity? Are those who know God and reveal God to people who never got to see God in His love, His acceptance, and His redemption. It's the mercy of God that draws men to repentance. And I believe in signs and wonders. I believe in the miracles of God. But I believe if you ask, what's wrong with the church in America? We don't know God. And the way to know God is by serving, loving, encouraging. Listen, did not we read it in the scriptures? We read it in the scriptures. Love, encourage, and accept one another even above yourselves. It's that. What heals the church. And a healed church will be filled of a healed people. Amen, church? Listen, this area, our area here, it's been hit by demonic strife, religious, prideful bombs. People have been cast out of church for the way they dress. Listen, we have a group of people coming here. They weren't allowed in some big fancy churches here in town. They weren't allowed to sit in the auditorium with the people. They had to sit, sit in a room locked by themselves. Because they couldn't sit with the people. God have mercy on that type of church. God have mercy on that type of people where we will be choosy. Instead of all acceptance. God have mercy on the body of Christ. When Christ came and gave us an example that he ate freely with the taxpayers and those who were betray the betrayers and the prostitutes and the needy. He accepted them all. And God have mercy on me or anyone else that makes acceptance a respecter of persons. When God says, I am not a respecter of persons. God says it there. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. And it's not self-seeking. Can we stand up, please?